Thanks for joining us, Podrick. Nice to have you on The Humble Pie, uh, our second episode. So I'm, I'm very excited uh, about uh, talking to you today and uh, all of the pretty cool and very topical relevant things that um, we'll get into, specifically around privacy, data rights, and how organizations can be better safeguarding uh, all of these important concepts, uh, certainly for the, you know, in the near future. Um, so yeah, appreciate you spending some time today with me. Yeah. Awesome, Alex. Uh, yeah, very excited to be on. Um, I really enjoyed the first episode. So, um, uh, excellent. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it might've been a, a little rough on my side, but, uh, hopefully get, uh, get better and better, um, as we go. Uh, and I, but I'm also very excited about the, this being the, the first podcast with uh, a fellow Valencian. Um, so that's good. Uh, but, um, I suppose with a remote format, it can, it can always just be, you know, anywhere in the world. Um, but, uh, yeah. So how long have you been in Valencia now? So I've been in Valencia three years. Um, okay. yeah, yeah. So time, time does fly, but, uh, yeah, we love it here. Um, yeah. Particularly, I appreciate having the the sun during lockdown as I kind of redoubled yeah. my appreciation for life in Valencia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it helps, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so 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 you're the the founder of Query Layer, um, and um, I, maybe just before you you kind of define what Query Layer does and and what you know you guys are busy with at the moment. Um, your, your, your background has kind of been in computer science. Uh, you have a doctorate in computer science. You founded two other companies. What, what, what's kind of led you to this point of what you do at Query Layer? Um, what's been your, what's kind of guided your interests in your career um, up until right now? Yeah, so um, definitely, uh, you know, passionate about technology and uh, particularly software and been working in, I suppose, data-driven applications for about 10 years. Um, I suppose the interest in, in privacy um, started um, whilst working on a, um, a healthcare project uh, in Dublin back around 2011. So um, I was head of data at the Center for Connected Health, and we were building a dementia deployment um, to support patients with early onset dementia. Um, and during that project, I suppose the, the, the patients or the initial participants were, were quite nervous or naturally so about with whom we were sharing this data about their condition. Um, and I suppose seeing, their, seeing that nervousness at, at first hand really gave me an appreciation for, for privacy and how you know, data means different things for different people. And while you might be flippant about certain aspects of your data, you know, when you see someone uh, and, you know, in that situation, really worried about a particular condition, very worried about who might know about this condition, um, that you get appreciation why privacy can be a really big deal for, for, for people. Amazing, yeah, and and uh, and certainly a space that, um, you know, you can you can it's palpable to feel the importance of of people and their privacy and their data in the medical space, um, and 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 so many others as well, which has I suppose 
led you to 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 found you know to found something like query layer so maybe just in a nutshell what 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 does what is the sort of the vision for query layer and what are you what are you trying to accomplish in this space yeah so i suppose you know the underlying thesis of it is that you know we believe that data privacy is a right and 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 we think customers do too um and so that's that's we approach enterprises and um i suppose help them offer data rights to their users and so we do that by providing data rights infrastructure to these companies and and the majority of companies actually want to do the right thing by their users and their customers they want to offer them data rights and control and transparency around how they're handling their data but it's just an extremely difficult thing to do for a variety of different reasons um yeah and so so we want to one company at a time help individuals get control back over their data okay so so w- when you when you speak about privacy or data rights um at the at the user level the individual level what what just for us to work with the definition what exactly do you mean what does that entail what what exactly needs to be secured yeah so 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 by data rights um our personal data rights what we're saying is that the right of an of an individual to have control over their personal data um and to have an understanding of how their personal data is being used in any situation or company um and personal data rights so is not just something that's enshrined in law and 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 you know i think everyone is well aware of gdpr and it's a everyday an effect of you know how we use the internet or how most of us work but it's also it's also like an ethical consideration so 10 years ago the mindset was that whoever processed the data owned the data and so you know we could see that in you know early social media companies because they because they collected that information or because they requested that information from an individual and therefore processes they felt that they owned that data and it was there to do as they wanted and that mindset has changed you know in the last 3 years it's been amazing the transformation that has happened in how people consider their personal data and now you know personal data rights is basically the i suppose it's the the realization or the awareness that that the the owner the, the individual they own that data they should have full control over that data they should have transparency about how that data is being used and the company is just borrowing that information to serve a particular purpose so i i love what you said about making the distinction between somebody or an entity that owns the data versus um the entity that is maybe just borrowing it or is lent the data for the time being and that and that can easily be confused by a company or an entity that has interests in controlling that data right for example facebook or so on you know they've obviously got a commercial interest in thinking that they do own the data but of course there's been as you've said the last few years certain things have caught up uh you know perhaps the legal framework perhaps other ethical considerations have now caught up with them where they've got to change their game change the way they talk about it and so on but so so just on that then is it always a case of sort of having the legal framework or the ethical considerations that you've spoken about always having to kind of play catch up to where things are 
and then to sort of either legislate that or provide a more of a concrete framework to manage that? Is there no way to kind of be a bit more preemptive, to be ahead of where things are going? Or is that just the way that progress works? Yeah, so I, th- I think market forces and market forces via customer pressure, um, that'll be the main driver in this space in the next few years. So, so, so far, it's been driven by regulatory changes, largely. But what we're starting to see is this growth of privacy actives. And these are a, a, a subsection of your, your customers um, who, who make choices around the brands, the products that they use based on how they perceive that company handles their personal data, how they respect their personal data. And so these privacy actives, um, I think that they'll be a major driver for you know, increasing data rights, personal data rights um, in, in the next few years. Um, and actually what's, what's most interesting about this, this customer segment, these privacy actives, is that what we're seeing is that, that largely they are late 20s, early 30s, um, you know, let's say early career professionals with large disposable incomes. So for particular types of, of companies and brands, let's say e-commerce or lifestyle, then these could be a large percentage of your, of your profit. Um, and therefore, it makes commercial sense to, you know, change your data handling practices, um, not just because of a compliance, you know, motivation, you know, but the also out of change. Exactly. Yeah. And this is powerful. I think this is far more powerful than any regulatory change or regulatory pressure that companies face. So when it comes down to users, whether they're everyday individuals, whether they're the users of a particular system or framework within organizations, whatever the case may be, when you mention how to that that there's a need to take control of their privacy, their information. That makes sense. But how how does one go about taking control um, if you're operating at the user level? Yeah. So and you know this is this is probably one of the hardest parts of this. Uh, I think it's the theoretical argument is uh, I think is in some ways it's kind of easy to justify or, or it's simpler to come to the conclusion that users should have control. But the practical aspects of this is where it gets complicated because data is complicated. Um, so in terms of giving user control, you know, that control needs to be um, simple. Uh, it needs to be understandable. It needs to be in the context in which they're making this. So let's say, you know, rather than just upfront, you know, blasting them with with permissions or choices around their data, you you place those controls in the time and moment in which they're making a decision around their data. Um, and I suppose there's there's lots of different strategies or um, approaches you can take to give meaningful control to the user, whether in a product experience or a service experience. Um, yeah, but but that that is really, you know, that that's where it gets challenging, I think. Mm. The actual practical components of not only driving that change, but then enforcing and educating, I suppose, users on how and what to do with their data. Because yeah. ultimately... And because this yeah. is... Mm, 
is it, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a very complicated area. It's complicated for companies. Uh, it's complicated for, let's say, data engineers and, 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 and security officers and data protection officers. So for members of the public who, you know, uh, might have no background in, in data or, or just their, you know, general users of a service, then there's a big communication gap between how we talk about data protection within the enterprise uh, and in a regulatory level to how we need to talk about it on a, you know, on an individual level. And, you know, that's why a lot of the existing controls that we use uh, or the existing controls that we offer individuals over their personal data are, 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 are broken right now. So if you think about an individual who is using the internet today, any service, then the primary means by which they control their personal data is through privacy policies and and consent pop-ups. Um, and, and privacy policies are notoriously difficult to read. I think almost nobody almost does. Intentionally. And that's because they're not yeah. yeah. And it's because they're 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 serving a different purpose. They're you know they're they're serving the purpose of the business. They're you know protecting the business. Their um, their function is not to educate and to inform the individual. Um, and therefore, someone making a decision around their personal data based on a privacy policy, you know, it, it's it's really uh, yeah. I suppose it's a failed control. And, and similarly with consent, you know, in, in most cases, consent is um, it's illusionary, um, and and we see that in the recent WhatsApp example, where WhatsApp updated their terms and conditions and their privacy policy, and you know, I'm sure most people got the you know the consent pop up, which basically said consent or delete, you know, consent or get off our platform, and 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 that doesn't feel like consent. That feels like you know, gun to the head. Um, and it doesn't either, feel like a choice. No, certainly not. Yeah, yeah, and that's why these controls, you know, um, these controls. Uh, yeah, the, in some ways, I, you could almost consider them as, as failed controls from an individual perspective. And what the WhatsApp one is a great example because. Um, it's such a massive ubiquitous system anyway. I mean, who doesn't use WhatsApp? Uh, and there may be some alternatives now or perhaps have been around for a while, but still, you know, you can't argue with the fact that they have the lion's share of the messaging market. And and, and so what, what I suppose I'm asking, you know, if you have a recommendation or advice or something where you could almost advise somebody on how to not what decision they should make when it comes to consent or delete, but how, how to think about that kind of choice. Because it doesn't feel like a choice, A, you know, are you either going to just stop using WhatsApp or are you just going to be party to whatever new update in their regulation that they have, you know, and just kind of swim along with it? Or is there a kind of a new way to think about how to handle that? Because it seems that, you know, these these organizations that just amass more and more of the, of, of of our information of their of of data, they they can almost do whatever they want, right? Um, so so how how can a user or an agent in the system make use of that, um, or, or rather make make a sound decision? You know, how, what's the best way to think about that? Yeah, uh, I think it's a really good question, and you know, 
it's something that I've struggled with personally. So from a principal point of view, uh, I, d- I don't want to use WhatsApp, something like Signal. Um, and I've tried to migrate from WhatsApp, but, you know, uh, for instance, my mother in Ireland, she uses WhatsApp and I, I, could, I could barely get her using on WhatsApp in the first place. So trying to get her, convince her to move <laughs> over to Signal because Facebook was collecting her data or just perception that it was, um, which just as an argument is not going to fly. So, you know, I mean, I, I can only speak personally, but but I would consider myself as a, a kind of an objecting WhatsApp user. And I haven't consented to the new privacy policy. I think there's a deadline of April or May if I'm if I'm um, if I'm not wrong. But but mm. and I probably are, you know I will end up accepting it because it's just the social mm. pressure to accept it. But um, yeah, I mean I, I that I think that is uh, that is is difficult. I mean there is yeah. a, uh, the concept of data minimization, and that's something that I try to do. So uh, I do have a Facebook login, but. I have no photos and no kind of data, so to speak, on, on Facebook. And, you know, that's how I, I suppose, balance okay. social pressure versus my, I suppose, yeah. disdain for that sense that I have that these services are kind of forcing me into taking actions that mm-hmm. I don't want to take or I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah, which seems to be a sort of um magnified you know uh day to day now like you said 10 years ago or whatever we you know nobody thought about this or maybe some people were thinking about it and maybe some were you know prescient enough to kind of understand well maybe this will have ramifications later on but you know we were happy to uh install apps and you know upload photos and you know give away our location information and so on until one day oh okay actually not happy about that so in, in a sense you know, everyday users are also complicit in creating the monster, perhaps not uh, knowingly, of course, but, you know, how, yeah, then it's difficult to kind of strip away, you know, how much consent or how much how much control do you really have because, you know, we've been feeding the monster. Do you, do you think that just kind of tying it back into an enterprise sort of um, environment, which is where query layer works, do you, how, do you feel that that's a different environment, that there's a, another way of looking at it when it comes to how organizations can be more responsible with their end user privacy rights and data? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would sometimes... I sometimes think that, you know, like senior executives in a lot of these companies are being given a, maybe they've been told a narrative around this that is quite negative. And that narrative is around GDPR fines, 4% of of annual revenue, um, you know, um, kind of push compliance solutions pushed on them that are like these big, heavy enterprise solutions. And then, you know, talk about manual processes and checking boxes. Um, they feel like burdens. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very negative. Um, it's all about, it's, it's about cost saving and it's negative and it's about, you know, fine mitigation or risk mitigation. Um, mm. I think what I would like to see is that that conversation changed to the opportunity that this presents um, so that privacy isn't something negative from an enterprise point of view. It's not something to be scared of, but something to be embraced as a differentiator within your market. And we already see that with examples like 
let's say if we look at the big tech firms, you know, Apple in the last 12 or 24 months, a big part of their narrative now, even in, 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 in video ads and TV ads that, that um, they've placed on online is around this privacy as a differentiator. You know, we're different because, you know, we actually respect your data. Um, um, yeah, and so, so I think this, this is the, the opportunity within the enterprise space is to, to change the narrative um, mm. and, ch- and change, you know, it's, it's an element of changing your, the relationship that you have with your, with your customers. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to think about what um, John, the previous guy I had on who, who was, um, you know, he was, he, was, he was sort of almost a little bit more pessimistic uh, about this kind of thing where, you know, a lot of brands, especially, you know, to the scale of Apple would, would probably just, you know, he'd see this as just another PR stunt of trying to get on the right side of the conversation right now, but then perhaps in the background still, you know, it's business as usual. So how, you know, uh, uh, to, to what degree may, may that be going on firstly, but then be how, how can we hold, you know, them to account um, and make sure that they are doing what they're saying and, and they are really looking at privacy as a differentiator and not just, you know, paying lip service. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, I think any, let's say, positioning that Apple does from a privacy perspective or any standpoint that they're, they're making, um, they're making that from a, I don't doubt that they're making it from a commercial point of view. Um, and so there's, undoubtedly a huge number of factors around control, platform control, when you think of like the app store that go into the making of that decision. Um, uh, so, so um, yeah, I mean, for, for sure. And the second part of your question, Alex? Yeah, just about kind of um, um, making sure that there's, that there's some kind of power that the user or even the consumer might have at, in the equation that can still hold, um, you know, a company like Apple and so on to account um, if things don't change or that they, there's sufficient incentive to change or to make things a little bit more kind of privacy centric. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think going back to the WhatsApp example, that's an example of, I suppose, a consumer power or consumers holding a large enterprise to it to account over a decision that they're making around personal data usage. Um, so, you know, irregardless of WhatsApp pushed those changes through, um, that negative that negative press has, has an effect on their bottom line. And we saw that with the, you know, the Facebook scandals in, in the last few years where the stock price was affected by, um, by decisions that they were making. So, you know, at the end of the day, these are profit-driven organizations, and until um, and 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 decisions that they're they're making will ultimately be affected by the by the bottom line. Um, I think Apple see are aware that a strong privacy posture is going to have a strong impact on their bottom line, and therefore, yeah, they're get they're getting ahead of the game. Um, and I suppose, you know, and that's why when we speak to enterprises, we're not just saying, you know, this is the right thing to do from a regulatory perspective or from an ethical perspective, but this is actually the smart thing to do. Um, uh, and therefore, therefore, you know, 
you know, you could take a short term perspective on this and just try check the boxes from a compliance perspective. Um, but while you're doing this, why not do it right? Get out in front of it and and um, actually showcase to the world uh, why you're different. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, getting and, on the right side of change. Yeah, yeah, and you know what I often find interesting is, you know, if when you think of, let's say, the website of any major brand or company, I think how optimized that website is. Every element of that website is optimized around conversion. You know, I mean, wow, we're like twenty years of, of you know, sign in buttons or login or subscribe buttons, and every color format, you know, positioning on the page has been tried and tested right all around this trying to get minute areas of you know like performance improvements and then you see all of them have this you know privacy policy piece you know that's right there on the front page you click into it and then bam you're just hit with a wall of text you know and and you know i'm convinced that there's a missing opportunity within that within that like dump of text you know that that there's a, there's a, a better way, there's a smarter way, and that's why I think marketing, um, marketing groups and marketing departments, you know, um, they should be looking at this privacy space and seeing, you know, there, there's probably a conversion opportunity here. There's an optimization opportunity here um, that we could be missing. And 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 just on that, because it it's a very interesting point, something that you mentioned um, uh, before we started recording was um you know the the concept of um the state of privacy policy and 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 how it's carried out how it's communicated it has a user experience problem um and this is probably what you're alluding to now the fact that it's just this sort of nondescript dump of text that you know nobody engages with or at least wants to so so uh, and 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 you're absolutely right. Everybody knows what it's like. You know, you just kind of like, oh God, I can't scroll through this faster. You know, in order to get to the bottom, just to all right, fine. You know, I just wanna, I just wanna buy this uh, watch. You know, I just wanna log in here. I just wanna do that. So, how, how are there any strategies or perhaps some ideas that you're working um, through QueryLay at the moment that that you, you, there's some ideas on how to make that a little bit more of an inviting, almost sort of collaborative experience of understanding what the privacy policy entails, what it means for the customer, and ultimately empower both the, you know, the enterprise and the user. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's not hard to imagine how these privacy policies could be even slightly improved. You know, it wouldn't take an expert in UI UX to figure out that this isn't a good user experience, right? Yeah. So the obvious question is, well, then why? Why are they like this? And, and the majority of the reasons that, that they're structured in the, this way is, one, because they're written by legal departments. And secondly, at the very bottom of every privacy policy, you have take control of your data or you have this option where you can exercise your data rights. But because the underlying, um, the under, the underlying infrastructure isn't there to actually handle these requests, then companies, they actually don't want to highlight this as an option. And so a lot of companies that we speak to, they're like, oh yeah, you know, um, you know, I, I'm totally into this. Yeah, I definitely think it's the right thing to do, but you know, it just takes me so long to work through one of these requests that then I really, 
I don't I don't want them to come in. So therefore, I don't want to to make it a good experience. Or I don't want the user to take that action at the end. Just keep that door closed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's that way. Like, yeah, you know, fax us in a request or <laughs> telegrams only. You know, and the reason for that is that the companies, yeah. you know, they're not in the place where they can handle these these type of requests. And then what we're mm. seeing on the other side is these type of requests. You know, whether you are getting them right now or not, there's a definite trend that these requests are on the are are on the up. And it's going to be on increasingly so as more and more customers expect these data rights and then are going to demand it from their from from the companies. So, you know, back to your question, you know, there are some very simple strategies to make this experience easier, but you first need to understand or you need to ask why the company hasn't taken these steps already. And in the majority of cases, it's because the capability to handle these requests isn't within the organization or it isn't within their, their stack. And actually what you see when one, one of these requests comes in, you know, I mean, we see it time and time again, it actually, it kicks off like this kind of pandemonia within the company where you have one poor soul who's responsible for running around the organization, shoulder tapping all the different application owners and responsible people and then chasing them mercilessly for the next 30 days in order to get the data for that individual out of them, and then try to put it all together and then get it back to the, the individual. Yeah, yeah, they, they hate it. I mean, it must be one of the you know, least enjoyable jobs in any company, and, and that's definitely what, <laughs> what we're being told as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it it almost feels like it's ripe for a complete makeover, you know, from the users to the infrastructure to the technology involved to the to the people who are tasks with tasked with actually governing that as well, because that can't be an easy job, like you've just said yeah, as well. Yeah, you know, aside from the responsibility, you know, what they have to do and manage and and kind of make decisions on from a day to day. Yeah, because most of these organizations are they're optimized around taking in data, consuming data, like most, you know, any majority of SaaS services that that you use, you know, they're built to consume data. They're built to, to pull data in. Um, and they're not really designed to get data out the other way. So so it's it's like um it's like, you know, like a super highway, you know, it's built 12 lane super highways built into these companies. And then it's like some country road dirt track you know, return journey. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, yeah. I suppose the metaphor that we're trying to trying to to bring is we're trying to, you know, we're trying to tarmacad on that return route. Um yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I suppose it has so much to do with the 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 the, the commoditization of data that's happened over the last decade or two anyway. And so it made sense for companies and, you know, kind of data structures to be designed like that because it was all about ingesting as much as possible and then building products based on that or based on that data, that information in order to do that. Um, so so uh, when it comes to com- commoditization, slight rabbit hole question, but I'm, I'm sort of, um, you know, very interested in the world of, of, uh, of crypto at the moment and, uh, and kind of 
you know, decentralization, blockchain, and so on. Do you think that there's ever some kind of interesting, just spitball, you know, ever any sort of interesting union between the 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 sort of the security, but also the commoditization of data rights and and privacy, and what could potentially be stored and secure in a blockchain type structure. Do you think that is there any thinking at the moment around that? Yeah, there's there's definitely a few initiatives and movements uh, around building these, I suppose, um, individual controlled kind of silos or um, based on blockchain or or some other technology. And then the individual controls their data, um, and then you know a company would tap into that data um, and then use it, you know, as per requested. Um, yeah, and so definitely some some very interesting um, uh, projects and companies starting in this space. I think, like, I think, um, I think ultimately, you know. Storing, controlling uh, data is difficult for most enterprises. And the idea that you could push some of those requirements or some of those responsibilities back out to the individual, um, I I think it's a big ask. And I think it's always going to be the minority that will, let's say, see the benefits or want to take on that responsibility. Uh, And I think... There's definitely a place for these kind of user-controlled data hubs, um, but but that you know definitely for the foreseeable future, um, personal data is predominantly going to reside within the enterprise, and and that that's where if we're going to solve this problem, that that's where we're going to solve the problem mm. within the infrastructure that created the issue first. I suppose exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 so then, looking at the the, the sort of the future, the future question here it comes. Um, yeah, the you know the future of where that goes and what it might look like in, um, let's say, enterprises. You know, do the right thing, and it's not just lip service, and they really do start to reform the structure and the habits and and sort of the the, the processes around how privacy rights are controlled, offering more um, sort of, you know, I suppose, uh, agency around how um, end users are allowed to control, remove, edit their own data and so on. What does that future look like? And what does that ecosystem look like? How will it have been improved? Yeah, so... In your eyes. I think, um, let's say, in this decade, I think the, the primary change will be an education one. So first from education of the individuals around their their data rights um, and almost an expectation that they would have these data rights and education of the enterprise that it makes sense that that personal data rights and the ability to handle personal data requests makes sense from a commercial point of view. Um, On the technology level, this idea that that data engineers and the people who build these solutions that in the same way as security requirements are built into any good software engineering's kind of playbook uh, or consideration, then privacy requirements, you know, will be 
a consideration and the, the ability of any data source to handle personal data requests. Um, and then I think, you know, once that is all in play, then the idea of an individual withdrawing, consenting, um, porting their data from one enterprise or from one situation or setting to another will become, um, let's say, the norm or the standard. So let's say I want to use one service and I want to use it for three months and then I decide that I'm going to transition to another service, then I would use, let's data portability in a standard format and I could transfer that data to a second service. Um, but, I, but I think it will always reside within the enterprise. Um, uh, but these standardized formats for transferring data, um, uh, I would expect maybe with the help of of governments through regulation that these will become that these will become the norm. Mm. I suppose there's also a learning curve that governments uh, will need to undertake for themselves as well. Um, it, it, just when you said that, my mind immediately went back to a couple of YouTube clips. I remember reading when Mark Zuckerberg was grilled uh, at the uh, at, at, you know at one of the Senate hearings, I think two or three years ago, on Facebook's data practices. I think it was maybe as a result of the Cambridge Analytica fallout, and you know the the uh, the senators and whoever you know prepped them. There was just a whole lot of dumb questions. And you could see that there's a massive disparity between where the law is currently and who are, and who looks after it, you know, and where the best of what government can put forward is right now versus the people who are actually operating these structures. There's there's still a disparity there. So I suppose what you're saying is that that needs to come into more of an equilibrium in order for any actual change to not only be made, but to be enforced as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was some classic conversations in those um, in those Senate hearings. Um, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Senator, watching. we run ads. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So there's definitely, but like we even see that right now, that there's this education piece that's happening everywhere. So for instance, right now, when we want to, when we talk to um, a company, we're talking to the data protection officer and it's the data protection officer then kind of, introduces us us within the company. And the reason that the data protection officer has to do that is because they're probably the only one, often they're the only one who's actually thinking, you know, about these um, data rights and personal data requests. And then they're, you know, introducing us and doing an education piece. So they've got to be the champion. Yeah, exactly. But what, what we think will happen or like as this kind of education piece starts to to pick up speed, um, then you know, in four or five years' time, it'll actually be the data engineer who will be coming out and saying, you know what, you know, we need to build this in from the very start. We're going to have, if we're going to be storing personal data, then we're going to be having requests from the owner of the data, the individual, to withdraw consent to delete their data that they want to update their data. Um, we're not there yet, but I think of it for four years, five years then um, these personal data requirements are going to be just part and parcel of any of any company or any of any piece of technology or service that's being built. Oh, well, um, yeah, that sounds optimistic. I don't mean optimistic as in hopeful. I mean, that, that sounds great. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds like a welcome change 
and uh, and definitely a step in the right direction for enterprises who are who are open to it who can you know have a glimpse of really what's going to be coming anyway and they've got to jump on that roller coaster right otherwise they risk being left behind and like you said in the beginning market forces market forces dictate everything you know so and that is where the customer's attention is directed right now over their own data just a final question i had i'm interested in your views around the the kind of the um the, the fingerprints if you like or the 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 distinction if there is one between um data and an individual's um, ability to control their data and privacy and identity because we're we're kind of seeing and this is in a way what's interesting about blockchain and some of the other technologies that have evolved over the last few years is is that you know there's there's sort of a, a digital signature uh, that can be traced you know obviously online through multiple different sources and obviously your data is the biggest component of that and the information that is collected do you have any kind of concerns or maybe just views on a whether there's a distinction between somebody's data somebody's information that can be harnessed and collected and their identity and also b where and when that might go wrong and how we could avert some sort of potential bad situation hmm. so i think any data which is so i would consider any data which is um could be used to identify an individual i would consider personal data so even if it's derived data from if 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 i'm right in in something like let's say you know your your typing technique could have a fingerprint or how you use your phone could have a fingerprint right because if you you know let's say you 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 follow the same patterns and there's some some signals that are are that you're you're that you're emitting out through your use of some technology and 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 that if that's usable to identify you in some form or another whether it's some directly identifiable or it's identifiable by linking it with another um, source of data then then that should fall under the same personal data um, rights as your name your social security security number or, or where you live um, so I, I I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't draw the distinction mm, interesting yeah okay wow well I mean it's it's been really really cool to talk to you and to um, pick your brain on you know what not only what's happening right now um, with uh, the sort of the where the the battle for privacy and uh, and data rights is being waged but also where hopefully it'll be progressing to in the near future so I really look forward to to seeing where and how query layer you know leads the charge on that thank you Alex yeah it was uh uh, and I'm very ex- excited to follow the podcast. You know, I, I love the format. I, I love the the first uh, the first episode, and uh, hopefully, I don't leave the side down. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to following it uh, in the future. <laughs>